We are continuing this morning talking about the sweet spot. Last Sunday when I got up to preach, somebody had left me a honey bear. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. This, I took that honey home, by the way, because yes, I do like honey. Uh, so that honey is at home in my pantry. And this morning it would appear that the bear has multiplied. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't know who you are, um, but uh, on behalf of Tyler, Jessica, Sue, and myself, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and if this keeps on going, we will have, it's more honey than we can use, we will have a honey ministry here at HRCC. Um, because we do like honey, but we would not want to eat too much of it, see what I'm doing here? Or it will make us sick. Right? That's what the Word of God says. What's the reference there? Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. Pooh Bear learned his lesson the hard way. It's great if you like honey, but if you eat too much of it, it's liable to make you sick. I've been kind of sharing with you my thoughts that I think there are things in Scripture, disciplines, activities, habits, qualities, all sorts of things that we're kind of preconditioned to think, oh, that's a good thing. Christians are supposed to do that. More honey, more better. Right? Uh, but perhaps, perhaps there's a sweet spot. Maybe there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Today is the 4th of July. Um, typically on the 4th of July, this church rocks the Downers Grove Parade. Last year, the parade was canceled because of the pandemic. This year, they brought the fireworks back, but there is no parade in Downers Grove this year. How fortuitous, because the whole you know, Sunday morning thing, I, I don't know how that would have worked for us. Next year, Jenna, you're on notice. We're rocking the parade next year, okay? All right? But today is the 4th of July. It's a celebration of the birth of our nation, and that's going to tie in a little bit of, uh, into what I have to say to you today. I think perhaps there is no word more associated with the United States than the word freedom. Right? We have the Bill of Rights as kind of the cornerstone of who we are as a people. Uh, in the Bill of Rights, you find a list of our freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, so on and so forth. It's all about our freedom. The, uh, the, the document, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, Liberty, or one could say freedom, in the pursuit of happiness. That is our declaration of independence, right? We're founded on that principle. Statue of Liberty. What's, what's the inscription on the Statue of Liberty? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, right? Freedom. It's all about freedom. And that is why our nation is so often referred to as the land of the free. And we know that, and then we look to Scripture, and we find that freedom is also a very, very important word in the Bible. I'm going to read to you some of maybe the most memorable passages of Scripture that have to do with the celebration of the freedom we know as followers of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Oh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Romans chapter 8, the first two verses say, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom. Right? John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Then you will know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? It will set you free. And he goes on a few lines later to say, So if the Son sets you free... 
you will be free indeed. And then Galatians chapter 5, the very first verse of that chapter says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burned again by a yoke of slavery. You are free, you are free, you are free. Don't turn back, the New Testament says. And I share those verses, and, and we could probably brainstorm and come up with others like them, right, that celebrate freedom. I share those with you because at first glance, it would seem that the government of the United States of America has an awful lot in common with the New Testament. Because both of them present freedom as a core and foundational principle. And if we're not careful, we might start to think that they are basically promoting the same idea. If we're not careful. Can I be honest with you? I don't think we've always been very careful. I don't think we've always been very careful. I think that there have been times when the American church has confused ourselves about freedom and what exactly it means when we read those lines in Scripture. And I would submit to you that the rise of movements we see going on in our world and in our nation today, things like Christian nationalism, this is a very frightening development in modern-day Christianity. We, as a church, Hobson Road Community Church, spent most of last fall reading our way and studying our way through the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we heard the, the heartbeat message of that, God's final revealed words in Scripture to his people. He said again and again and again, my people need to maintain their allegiance to my kingdom over and above their allegiance to any worldly empire. And those, those words were penned with the Roman Empire in mind. We would be foolish to not presume that they have the same impact on our allegiance to the American Empire. Now, I want to be very clear today. Some of what I have to say maybe will challenge your thoughts, maybe will surprise you. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I love my country. I love my country. I consider myself to be a patriot. If there is a right way for a country to be shaped, I think the U.S. has done a pretty good job of it. And I am absolutely 100% proud to be an American. My grandfather left his newborn son in 1941 and went and spent the next four years of his life with Patton's Third Army in Europe. He came home to a boy that didn't remember him but was already ready to go into, into school. My dad spent his first few years of adulthood sitting on a Navy ship, listening in, eavesdropping on the Russians as they communicated about where exactly they were going to put those missiles in Cuba. Most of his colleagues were being shipped to Vietnam. They didn't send him. He always said because his security clearance was too high. We always kidded him that they knew he was probably going to screw it up. <laughs> My brother joined the Marines and went off to Iraq. He knocked down doors and shot and killed terrorists. He could tell you the names of the men in his company that never made it home. And although Andy came home, he came home very, very different because of the experiences he had there. I honor men like that. I honor men and women that have sacrificed all different kinds of things 
for our country. I am proud to be an American. But by the same token, this nation is not my home. My citizenship is in a different kingdom. It is in a heavenly kingdom. And that's where you hold citizenship as well if you've submitted your life to Jesus. And so I think it is of the utmost importance for the church, and especially on this day, the church in America, to remember that the freedom that we enjoy in this world is absolutely nothing compared to the glorious riches of freedom that we know as followers of Christ. The two things just aren't the same. The Bible actually speaks of freedom, as we said, an awful lot. But it speaks of freedom very differently than the world does. In the world, and especially in our modern nation, freedom is the end goal. People are yearning to breathe free. We all want more freedom. Freedom is the ultimate ideal. But in Scripture, freedom works a little bit differently than that. Freedom has a sweet spot. It has a sweet spot in scripture. It's important, but it's not without its limits. The last scripture I read to you is Galatians chapter five, verse one, celebrating freedom. But what I want to do for you today is kind of my launching off point is let's skip down a couple of paragraphs, just a couple of paragraphs and see where the apostle Paul is going with this idea. I read to you and you can see it on the screen from Galatians, still in chapter five, but now down a couple of paragraphs into verse 13. Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping just this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, could we just pause there? Does that sound at all familiar? If you bite and devour each other in your freedom, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I put it this way. The story of the United States is that a group of people didn't want to live as servants to a king anymore. So they declared their own freedom, and they sent their sons to die to secure that freedom. That's the story of the United States. But the story of the gospel is almost precisely the opposite story, isn't it? The story of the gospel is that the king declared the people to be free. And then he sent his son to die to secure that freedom. So that, watch this, the people could start to live as servants. That's the story of the gospel. And that's what Galatians chapter 5 here is saying. I actually want to read this passage to you again. As you know, the words of Scripture have been translated multiple times in multiple different ways into different translations of the Bible. I want to read this very same Scripture to you from a translation we call the message. The message is a very kind of loose paraphrase. The goal of the message isn't to take each word and translate it the way Google Translate would do it. The goal of the message is to get the idea of what the original text said and then put it into kind of a conversational tone. In my opinion, the message isn't a very good Bible translation to use for Bible study, but it can be an extremely helpful translation to use if I do kind of want to get the idea of what's going on here. And I think it does a really good job of capturing the essence of what Paul is saying. 
So let me reread the scripture, but from this different translation. It says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to live a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and then destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. Now, if you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Where will your precious freedom be then? Where will it be? The message seems to be that if we fail to find the sweet spot here when it comes to freedom, we end up broken, we end up hurting, and we end up enslaved all over again. So I want to use this passage as a launching point to talk about, is there such a thing as too much freedom for the followers of Christ? And I think it starts with this principle. I can is not the same as I should. I can is not the same as I should. Just because I have the freedom to do something, just because I'm able and allowed to do something, the gospel says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Our court system in this nation and in much of, of the free world, our court systems are built on the principles of rights. A court case is essentially an investigation to see who had the right to do what. And if you have the right, then you're good. If your rights were violated, then you're due restitution. If you did something that you did not have the right to do, you're going to receive punishment. It's all built upon this idea of who has the right to do what. But take a look at what the Bible says about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. <laughs> That's what the word of God says. You know, we need to focus a little bit less on our rights and think a little bit more about what is helpful, what helps us to grow, what helps us to become as Christ would have us to become. In God's kingdom, freedom carries with it the idea that we shouldn't use freedom to uphold our own rights. We use freedom, are you ready, to lay down our rights. That's what we have the freedom to do. We have the freedom to say, I know it's my right, but I'm going to submit. That's what we use freedom for in God's kingdom. Rights are not meant to be grasped and held onto. And that's because there are plenty of things that you can do, but they aren't in your best interest. A couple of weeks ago, maybe about three weeks ago now, I was out mowing the lawn. And as I was pushing my lawnmower, I noticed a bare patch of grass in a place where I didn't expect it to be. I hadn't noticed that bare patch. It was maybe 10 or 12 inches across and just no grass at all growing there. And as I was mowing, I stopped. I didn't turn the lawnmower off. I just kind of stopped for a second to kind of look and see had something spilled there and created this patch. What on earth is going on? And as I stopped, some motion out of the corner of my eye from the edge of my lawnmower. 
and I startled as I saw the teeniest, tiniest baby bunny that I have ever seen peek his head out from under my lawnmower and race between my legs. Now, this story has a happy ending, okay? But I'm gonna walk you through it because right in that moment, we had a little cleanup in aisle four. Let me tell you, I was a little nervous myself. I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I thought for sure I've chopped this bunny, this little tiny three or four inch baby bunny, for sure I've chopped him into pieces. And so I looked over my shoulder, lawnmower is still running, as I watched him scurry away. <laughs> Amazingly, I didn't get him. But then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I'm holding this running lawnmower right over his nest. Surely he's the only survivor in the greatest bunny massacre Neighborville has ever known, right? <laughs> and so I kill the lawnmower and push it over, thinking I'm gonna have to throw up here in a second, <laughs> right? And I look and sure enough, there's this underground bunny hole, which accounted for the bear patch in the lawn. And right under my lawnmower was the entryway to this. And I could see just this little bunny nose sticking out as his little brother is peeking out, looking right at, in the eye, looking at me right in the eye going, what on earth have you just done? <laughs> and as soon as we locked eyes, he turned around and scurried back down into his hole. That was the beginning of the discovery of the rabbit family in the Martinson backyard. So after that, that little patch of lawn was off limits to us. The bunny that had run out under the lawnmower and been saved by the grace of God, we named him Mo. <laughs> and so for the next couple of weeks, we watched as little Mo and his brothers and sisters would come out and play in the yard. And if you guys want to see the cutest video you have ever in your life seen, talk to Sue because on her phone she took video. Mo, Mama Mo would come right onto our patio, right by our glass door every evening and nurse her babies. Oh. See Angie, I told you. <laughs> and so we have video of Mama just sitting there nursing no, Mo and his brothers and, and sisters. And we watched them for a couple of weeks. They are now, I assume, bunny teenagers because they moved out of the hutch and live in the wood pile behind my shed, right? They've grown up a little bit, but that's the story of Mo. Here's why I tell you this. I imagine that at some point, Mama Mo said to baby Mo and his siblings, okay, here's the deal. I'm not hanging out with you in this pit all day long. Your job is to stay in the pit where you are safe. And no matter what, don't leave the hole. Don't leave the hole. No matter what, don't leave the hole. And then I get out there with my lawnmower and scare the rabbits half to death, right? And little Mo is down there and he's hearing this noise and he's feeling the wind of the blades and he thinks, oh my goodness, we're all going to be destroyed. It's time to go. And the brothers and sisters are saying, no, Mo, Mama told us to stay. Mama told us to say, she said, no matter what. And Mo, Mo said, Mama didn't know this was going to happen. We are all going to die here. I am making a run for it. I am making a run for it. And he went from right under my, my lawnmower. And after this all happened, I'm sure, I can't prove this, but I'm sure Mama Bunny was watching me from, from you know, somewhere else in the lawn. She came, she came soon after that to look into her babies, right? And she hugged them, and she loved them, and they all cried together. 
But then when she was done comforting them and assessing and counting all their little bunny toes and their little bunny ears and little bunny fingers, she did what every mother does in that situation. She grabbed Mo and said, what on earth were you doing? I told you never leave the home. Never leave. And Mo said, but mama, you didn't know what was gonna happen. I heard the roar of the lawnmower and I knew it was coming for us. And I felt the wind from all those blades spinning and I knew it was coming from us. And I knew what you didn't know, mom. I knew that the only way I could be safe was to exercise my freedom and run free. You didn't know that was gonna happen when you told us to all stay in this spot. And mama did what every mama in this room has done and said, no, Mo, you got it wrong. I knew that was gonna happen, and that's why I told you to stay where you were. Yeah, you can get out and run free, you're a quick little bunny, full of life, but just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Could Mo run? Absolutely. He had the right to do so, he had the freedom to do so, but not everything is beneficial. There's another important distinction between the world's way of freedom and what God has in mind for freedom, and it's this. Our freedom should make us more connected, not less. More connected, not less. Rugged individualism. Isn't that the American ideal? Rugged individualism. It's one of the core values of worldly freedom. We want the freedom to go my own way, to do my own thing, to make my own choices, and to determine my own future. As our nation, as a nation, we declared those intentions in a document that we call a Declaration of Independence. But did you ever notice that the gospel doesn't drive us towards independence? The gospel drives us toward dependence. The gospel drives us toward dependence on God to provide for us. Dependence on the Holy Spirit for the strength to live as Jesus did. And it's driving us even to be interdependent with our fellow followers of Jesus Christ. Freedom drives us towards dependence in the gospel, not towards independence. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So be like Jesus. Paul very clearly had a WWJD bracelet on as he wrote this, right? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Can I tell you what that scripture means? It means Jesus was God. He was in very nature God, and he had every right to every prerogative that God has, to every advantage that God has, to every strength and every privilege that God has. Jesus had the right to grab hold of all of those things. But you know what Jesus also had? He had freedom. And so he exercised his freedom to lay down his rights and go be a servant to the people who needed it most. That's how he used his freedom. That's how he used his freedom. Jesus laid down his rights. We talked about that several times today already. 
He made a choice to become a servant. He used freedom as a way to serve us, and now he asks us to use our freedom as a way to serve others. One of my favorite things about my wife is her servant nature. She has that gene in her that just makes her want to serve and help other people. And she's a nurse. So it's why she loves being a nurse and it's why she's such a good nurse. Sue has worked for the last couple of years for a company that specializes in home health care, And so they have had her serving an elderly man who's disabled. His wife is also disabled, but she goes, um, he has nurses with him every night and every day. She covers daytime shifts for him. So she goes multiple times a week and works uh, in his family's home taking care of, of, of the gentleman who's the client of the company that she works for. About two weeks ago, they got word that the company was going to drop this family as clients. And the company informed the family that as of July 1st, we are no longer going to provide you with medical care. Now this word came very close to the end of the June. So there was a very big uh, commotion and hubbub. What on earth are they going to do? And there was some back and forth in the situation, the family reaching out back to the company. Why is this happening? What's going on? And the company was kind of just tight lipped about it and said, we can no longer provide for your needs. And so as of July 1st, you will no longer be receiving medical care. Now the problem with that, they gave him some information on other companies he could contact to try and get some new care. But the problem with that is in that industry, that transition can take many, many weeks, right? We need to find a company that has availability. We need to find a company that has expertise in the particular areas that I need healthcare for. We need to find a company that can do all of those things in my area. And then once that happens, they need to come in an interview and they need to come do home studies and figure out all. And this can take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. They got this notice with just about a week left in June. Well, the nurses from Sue's company that work with this particular family, they were also taken off guard. They were suddenly told, as of July 1st, you're not going to go see this family anymore. So tell us, you know, what other skills you have or what other availability you have, and we'll try and place you with some other families. The nurses reached out to the company and said, this is kind of ridiculous. We've been taking care of this guy for years, and we're not sure how we're supposed to make this transition, and how is he going to be cared for? And the company said, that's not really your problem, and it's not really our problem. We've given him the notice that we are entitled to give him by contract, and we're moving on. And if he has needs, he can find family or friends if they haven't contracted with a new company, or they even said perhaps he could just find temporary residence in a nursing home which doesn't necessarily account for the fact that his wife is also at home and disabled, though not a client of this particular company. It just makes the entire situation very, very complicated and very, very unfortunate. And I can tell you that for a number of days, my wife was incredibly distressed and frustrated over this decision. And then the nurses that take care of this guy just got together amongst themselves. And they started texting each other and they said, you know what we are? We're nurses, we're servants. We take care of people. So on July 1st, when the company was no longer servicing this family, the nurses showed up and said, we're here to take care of you. And every day since then, the nurses have been showing up. The company found out about it and said, you can't bill us for those hours. We're not going to pay you. And they said, we don't care. We're going to go take care of the guy that we're supposed to take care of. They had freedom to do whatever they want, but they used their freedom to exercise and make a choice to serve. 
That's what the gospel looks like. That's what freedom looks like in God's kingdom. And here's the most important thing we need to talk about today. Freedom should always take a backseat to love. Is freedom important? Absolutely, it's important. Is it important in our nation? Absolutely, it's important in our nation. Is it important in the gospel? Absolutely, it's important in the gospel. But, and here's where we find the sweet spot, it needs to take a back seat to love. It needs to take a back seat to love. In God's kingdom, nothing is more important than love. Americans, and I told you, I love America. Americans ought to be known for their freedom, right? This is the land of the free. We ought to be known for our freedom. But Christians, we ought to be known for our love. The Bible tells us that. It says they will know, be known for their love for one another. John chapter 13, verse 35. Americans ought to be known for their freedom. That's fine. But Christians are different. They ought to be known for their love. And oftentimes, the vast majority of times, those two ideals can work together just fine in harmony. You can be free. You can be independent. You can be individualistic. And you can still be a very, very loving person. But sometimes... Those two ideals are going to be on a collision course. Sometimes they're going to come into conflict with each other. And when they do, the follower of Christ has no choice but to lay their freedom down out of love for their brother or their sister. The Apostle Peter put it this way in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, live as free people. Absolutely live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Well, what do you suppose that means? I mean, what would be included in the definition of evil? What are we not supposed to be covering up? I think the easiest way to say it is this. Any failure to love is evil. Any failure to love is evil. I think Jesus tried to make this abundantly clear when he told the famous story of the Good Samaritan. You'll remember this story. The man who is, is attacked and beaten and left for dead by the side of the road and, and the various passers-by pass him by, right? Until a certain Samaritan shows up and cares for him. Do you remember the, the context in which Jesus told that story? What was the conversation going on when Jesus told that story? I'll remind you what it was. Jesus was talking about this idea of loving your neighbor. Remember in Galatians, when we read the whole gospel is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was talking about that, and the people he was talking to were saying, unpack that for us, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? In other words, they were saying, what does love look like? Who do I have to love? How does this work? And that's when Jesus says, well, let me tell you a little story that'll help you understand and launches into this famous story of the Good Samaritan. How do we love so well? Now, can I remind you of the deep, deep irony in this? The religious folks who passed the wounded man by were living according to the law. They were living according to the freedom that they had. There was no law compelling them to stop and help a wounded man. They weren't doing anything wrong. But they were failing to love. 
They had the freedom to do what they did. The irony is that in our world, we actually do have laws saying you have to stop and help hurting people. And what do we call those laws? We call them Good Samaritan laws, right? The irony is that the Good Samaritan didn't have a Good Samaritan law. And so the priest who passed by and the Levite who passed by were well within their rights to do exactly that. They were living as free men. But don't use your freedom to cover over evil. Don't use your freedom as an excuse not to love well. The last year or two, we have gone through what I feel like is the perfect storm in our culture. And it's been a storm of division. The perfect storm has multiple components to it. You know the reference, right? There's more than just one thing going on. And for us in the last year or two, it's been politics, it's been race relations, and it's been the pandemic. And all three of those have landed on us this past year. And in the world around us, so many people have exercised their freedom to pick a side and dig in. And the result has been unparalleled hatred and division. And folks, I have wept as I have seen the church fall victim to the perfect storm. And so what's happened in those three areas, politics, race relations, the pandemic, we've got people on this side pointing their fingers and saying, you are just all a bunch of hate-filled Trump supporters. And then over here, you have these people pointing back saying, oh yeah, well you are all a bunch of socialist, Marxist progressives. And then over here you have, oh yeah, well you guys are all a bunch of white supremacist racists. And then these folks are pointing back and saying, yeah, well you're a bunch of militant black terrorists. And then we get a whole bunch of other people saying, you are a bunch of science-denying, maskless morons. To which this group points back and says, well, you are a fear-mongering, fascist dictator. Am I wrong? That's what we've heard. Where's the love? Where's the love? I want to issue this challenge to us. If at any time this year, you've heard an opinion on any of those things or any other thing that differed from your own, and your first response was to inform rather than to listen, or to debate rather than submit, it's likely that in that moment you overshot the sweet spot on freedom. Yeah, you absolutely have your right to your own opinion. I'm not gonna stand here and tell you otherwise. You absolutely have your right to your own opinion. But follower of Jesus Christ, you were called to love and submit first. You were called to love first. Look, one of the things that has made this past year so incredibly difficult in ministry 
for pastors, for deacons, for church leaders, for Christians, rank and file. Right? I'm not talking about, here's why this has been hard for me. I'm talking about life in the body of Christ is tough. Right? And one of the reasons is we've, we've come together in our places of worship. It's happened at HRCC. And we've found ourselves on opposite ends of the debate surrounding those issues. And we've had to look at people that, man, two years ago, three years ago, we would have hugged and loved and hung out with and just thought, man, they're the greatest person in the world. And then we found out this year that they voted for the other candidate or they went to that rally downtown or that they took their mask off or that they put their mask on. And all of a sudden we started seeing each other in a very, very different light. And church, I'm just telling you what I've observed this year. Suddenly, love got hard. Love got difficult. It got challenging. I love you guys, and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the way that you have handled much of the division that the world has faced this year. I've had people come to me on almost a weekly basis now for over a year and say, Dan, I'm worried about this. I heard you say this from the pulpit and I don't agree with it. I, you sent out this email with these rules and you don't agree with it. And I want you to hear this now. I have given thanks to God every time you have come to me and said that because that's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Our freedom gives us the room to not agree on all of these things. That's okay, I'm not worried about that. But I've also seen it go the other way. I've seen bitterness raise. I've seen distance increase. I've seen hurt increase. I had a communication a couple of months back with a member of our congregation who was struggling with the pandemic part of all of this and some of the things that we were saying as a church and some of the decisions that we were making as a church this individual was not supportive of and we opened a dialogue exactly like the kind i just described that i was grateful for this person said here's where i'm struggling now here's where i'm struggling now i don't believe this i am not on board with this and it's making it hard for me that's okay that's okay. Can I tell you my favorite thing that that person said to me? I know the issue is that God is challenging me to love my church more. Wow! The issue is that God is challenging me to love my church more. This person didn't mean the institution. They didn't mean Hobson Road Community Church Incorporated, right? They meant you. They meant you. They were able to recognize that, look, whatever my opinions are, whatever my beliefs, and can I just say they were very strong opinions. <laughs> but whatever they are, what's going on now isn't that the world is going sideways. It isn't that everybody else has lost their mind. It isn't that everybody else is crazy and I'm right. What's going on right now is that the Holy Spirit of God is saying, can you love that much? Or are you more interested in your freedom? Can you love that much? 
Or are you more interested in your freedom? I think that's a good spot for us to be in, guys. Can we love that much? Or are we more interested in our freedom? The freedom that God is calling to us, calling us to, rather, shows us how to love like that. And that's the sweet spot. Can I remind you of the verse I read a few times today from Galatians chapter 5? It says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's what we were called to. I want to conclude the service today just by asking you to stand with me. And I want to give you a, an image to think about because my guess is that we've all seen this at one point or another and probably within the past few days. One of the great things about the United States of America is that we do pride ourselves on an open door policy. Now accepting applications, perhaps, is a better description to have on the Statue of Liberty, right? And I know that immigration policy is one of those issues that I just referenced, right? And I'm not gonna get into those weeds today, okay? I'm not gonna do that. But can we just say that part of the hallmark of our nation is that we have traditionally said, give me your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And so, though most of the people in this room are folks that are citizens of this nation by virtue of having been born here, right? There are those in our church family who have had that moment where they have stood in one facility or another and raised their hand and taken the citizenship oath. And I just saw this the other day. It seems like every year on the news, they show somewhere near the 4th of July a big group of people doing, they had a big group of immigrants taking the citizenship oath and being naturalized at perhaps the most perfect place in all the world to become a true American, Wrigley Field, right? <laughs> Wrigley Field, they did it, they did it at Wrigley the other day. They, they, people, and I was a little jealous that they got to go out on, on the field there. Um, <laughs> there's the citizenship oath, right? which signifies that moment, and from that moment on, you're in. You're in. You're one of us. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what nation of heritage your family is from. It doesn't matter whether us Northern European Irish folk can even pronounce your last name right or not, right? None of that matters. You're in. You're in. And you're one of us. And there's that image, right? Can you picture it? Of a group standing before a magistrate of some sort saying, I want to be in. I want to be in. And the judge says, welcome aboard. I think that does look like the kingdom of God. I think that does look like the kingdom of God. Think about, and I know we probably don't know it off the top of our heads, but think about the words that are in that oath. I'm, I'm going to relinquish my ties to other kingdoms. And I'm gonna say, this is the kingdom I'm allegiant to now, right? And when I do that, I'm gonna submit myself, myself to the law of land. 
I'm going to agree that this is, this is how we do it. This is how we do it as Americans, right? And then here's the other thing I'm going to do. I'm going to be counted on to be a participant in this nation. I will defend this nation. I will take up arms where the law allows, the oath says. And I will fight as a non-combatant where the law allows, as the oath says. In other words, I'm in. I'm not just going to be a spectator. I'm going to be a participant. That's what it says. I think the kingdom looks like that. Where a group of people who were once outsiders, who were once outcasts, stand up and say, you know what, I want in. I'm willing to set aside any allegiance I have to any other kingdom. I'm willing to stand and be counted. I'm willing to submit my life to the authority and the law of the land. And I'm willing to fight for this. I'm willing to be counted on as one who will support and advance the gospel, that's what it looks like. Can we take that oath together today? Many of you have done it, you know, a hundred times over again, but can we just pray together? Here's what I'd like us to do. Just like we were at a citizenship, uh, a, a, what do you call them? Assembly? Yeah, I don't know, I'm gonna lose my citizenship here. I don't know what to call it. Just like we were at Wrigley Field. Right, right, right. Some, some of you are going to need a little bit more prayer than others in this moment. <laughs> Already, Lord, there's division in the Michael, it's a good thing it's not football season. That's all I have to say. There, there we are. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray one line at a time. And if you want to reaffirm your citizenship, or if you want to declare your citizenship for the first time ever in your life, I invite you to just repeat the words of this prayer right after I say them. God, I choose this day to submit my life to your authority. I recognize my need for your grace and your mercy. I cannot live the life you prepared for me Without the love of the Father, the, Father the, forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I want to live in the freedom you have given me as a citizen of your kingdom. I ask you to receive me that I might live as your very own. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. And can I say to everyone here, welcome to the family. <laughs> welcome to the family. If perchance you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, would you find a citizen of this kingdom and celebrate with them on your way out? Would you let them know that you need to register to vote? Would you let them know that you need to pay your tax? No, wait, no, that's not right. Would you just find another citizen and celebrate with them? If you took the oath of citizenship today and just heard it with new and fresh ears, celebrate that as well. Church family, I love you. I'm proud of you. Have a great 4th of July celebration.